Three, two, one. Got him. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. oh my gracious. Yep. How about that? With the second pick in the 2011 NFL Draft, the Denver Broncos select Von Miller, linebacker, Texas A&M. He's the greatest ever, huh? And then I just wanted when you to got make... all the advantages. It's easy. Welcome back to the Aggie War Pod, a product of the Republic Football Podcast Network and Dave Campbell's Texas Football. I am your co-host, Mike Craven, an awesome native. My apologies. Who attended UTSA before football arrived, I spent time in the newspaper business and on the recruiting message boards and survived to tell the tale. My only real goal in this industry is to make college football more like professional wrestling, and we are halfway there. Florida State helping out the goal today. I don't know if anybody kept up with what's going on uh, Wednesday afternoon, but they basically put out a diss track. So that's been an addition uh, to the college football world since I wrote this intro. So we're, we're getting closer and closer. The other voice you will hear on this podcast is my co-host, a barbecue eating machine who won't shy away from a road trip or an off-key rendition of Creed. The former fighting Texas Aggie defensive lineman arrived in College Station as a three-star product back in 2013. He now resides in Houston, but his heart never left. Ladies, gentlemen, Reveille, I present the one and only, hopefully, Jay Arnold. What an intro. What what an intro that you put together there, Mike. I mean, I can't think of a, a better way to lead us into uh, the podcast and, and talk about Aggie football today. That was a first take and only take, everybody. We don't have the editing capabilities between Jay and I to not do a first take. So there was a lot riding on what I just said there. Uh, it's August. It's football camp week, the start of football camp. I thought, uh, since we're kind of getting down to the nitty gritty you know, let's do a real intro. Let's treat this thing uh, like the podcast it deserves to be treated as. We've spent the last few months kind of getting a little bit of a rhythm, getting to know each other. I think we've built a, a little bit of rapport here. Uh, we're similar, and I think our takes with football, which is sometimes good and bad for a podcast, but I'd imagine as the season gets going, we will have more and more uh, disagreements about what's going on in the football field, specifically on Kyle Field. Uh, we're going to split this up into downs. You know, it's four downs in a, in a series. Uh, we'll go first down, second down, third down, four down, a way to kind of split up the topics, keep us on topic, keep the, the show moving a, a little bit. Uh, we won't waste any time. First down, fall camp begins. Everybody's checking in. Media day is on Sunday, August 6th. Uh, going to do the team picture, all that kind of stuff. You know, I, uh, Jay, uh, you are obviously a, a former college football player. You have gone through fall camps. Can you walk us through not even like let's let's take a step back. What are the 48 hours like leading in to the start of fall camp? A lot of a lot of anticipation, a lot of uh, nerves, but uh, a lot of hydration. Right. You know, <laughs> it's especially at uh, Texas A&M, right, or any of the schools in the SEC, really, you know, it's going to be hot in fall camp. So you're kind of really trying to drive home uh, the hydration aspect of things and, you know, you see the kind of hilarious charts in the uh, in the locker rooms, but that, that's a real thing, especially going into fall camp. And the flip side of that, uh, not the physical side, but the mental side, uh, you're expected to know your playbook going into fall camp. So you're going to be putting time in the study uh, 
in, in film room and, and whatnot uh, to try to make sure that you're not behind when you go out there and uh, things start moving really quickly during fall camp, uh, especially for like the new guys coming in their first fall camp. Uh, it can be a lot for, for someone to kind of get out there for the first time because the pace at practice is even quicker, uh, so much quicker than high school, in my opinion. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of mental preparation to make sure that you know where you're supposed to be. I mean, even knowing the flow of practice, right. Yeah. Uh, going from, uh, calisthenics or stretching or whatever you have going on to start the practice into special teams period into, uh, usually some kind of on air drills into inside hall into into full team again. And then, I mean, it's just a whole process and, and, and knowing where you're supposed to go ahead of time is key to making sure that you survive. It's the little things. It's the little things in, in, in every moment, you know, I, this is, you know, I'm a coward, right? Like I, I'm not a big tough guy. And I'd imagine it, you can't think the way I'm about to ask you a question about if you want to be a college football player. Uh, but for a young guy as like a true freshman, is there a moment where it's like, Oh shit, why am I doing this? Like this is uh, about absolutely. to get real. Okay, cool. Okay. <laughs> no, no. I mean, when that horn first goes off and they tell you to line up and you know, you kind of have to look at the guys around you to try to figure out, look at the experienced guys to figure out what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, and then it's, it's a lot of just getting thrown right into the fire and, and adjusting as you go. So there's definitely an Oh shit moment uh, for, for any uh, athlete stepping on a college football field for the first time. It's uh, no matter how tough you are, if, if you're not really sure what you have in store for you and, and it hits you in the face the first time, it's going to be a little bit of a, uh, a shock to the system. Because my only reference point to this is freshman football in high school. And I remember going to the first kind of, you know, week of practice, or maybe it was just summer workouts. Um, and you, the seniors compared to you, you're in eighth grade going into ninth grade. Not all of us have hit puberty by then, or at least it's not showing yet. And some guys got beards and they're, and they're huge men. And I just remember being like, well, this isn't for me. Like this probably, I don't look like that. Like, I don't know if I ever will look like that. I guess in college, when you're recruited at that high level, it's not as physically intimidating. Uh, but yeah, just the, the grind that's about to happen in the unknown, I suppose, is what it sounds like. The unknown of it. Uh, feels like the scariest part. The unknown and the pace are, are yeah. the two things that are that are really gonna be what you <laughs> have to try to and inevitably fail to prepare for the forty eight hours leading into fall camp. What was the first? Did you have a first vomit story? I mean, how quickly into it were you? Were you struggling? I was in pretty good shape, and I, I think I attribute that to wrestling. Yeah, you're school, a wrestler. Which. Uh, I mean, I'll, I think it was like a Teddy Roosevelt quote where once you've wrestled, uh, everything else in life is easy. Somebody said that at some point, but uh, that was kind of true for me in the fact that I, I didn't really have any vomit experiences in, uh, in fall workout. But I did get to see a lot of my teammates throw up in the, uh, in the Texas heat, so it was nice to not be on the losing end of that one. What's the best part of fall camp? So I always describe fall camp as – the most fun you'll never want to have again. <laughs> uh, it's. I, I can think of a few other things that I would describe that way as well. <laughs> but it, it's, I mean, it, it really is a special moment because you're building these bonds with your teammates through suffering. That uh, I think, no, I would not go back and do it again, but it, it's fun to reminisce about. Uh, and I mean, th I think the most exciting part about fall camp is always putting the pads back on for the first time. Uh, 
even if you're dissuaded of that notion very early on, it's still so exciting to, to get those pads on and kind of thump for the first time uh, during fall camp. Everybody just gets pumped up about that day. Uh, and then just the, the downtime in the locker room. And I think we'll get into that in a little bit about favorite moments, but uh, it, it's, some of the things that go on in the locker room and, and, and two days when you're just trying to keep yourself sane are, uh, are a lot of fun. I probably regret saying this and I'll want to cut it, but again, editing uh, ability is probably just going to leave it in there. Kind of the fall camp sounds a lot like jail, you know, like you don't want to go back, but you reminisce about it and you're like, man, it was kind of cool to play spades all day, <laughs> you know, just kind of hang out, you know, drink some juice. Like, you know, you could get in a fight. Nobody cared, you know, like it wasn't that big of a deal. You slept till whenever you wanted to. It wasn't awful. You know, you look back on it. Yeah. And minus the sleeping uh, till whenever you wanted to, that's, right. that's pretty much fall camp. Yeah, just a bunch uh, of dudes as well, you know, kind of yeah, stinks in there. And there's uh, there there are fights, and occasionally, do guys start fighting? Uh, you sub in, and uh, you just move the the practice, let them get sorted out, uh, and then separate it before it gets too bad, and and yeah. the practice keeps going in the meantime. Counting down till release day. I mean, there's a whole lot of similarities here uh, between fall camp and county jail. I've never been to prison. I would imagine that's a whole different ball game. Uh, but but county jail, uh, a little bit similar to fall camp, it sounds like. Uh, what's the worst part of fall camp? Just the heat? It's it's the heat and seeing the same damn guys across yeah, from you yeah, day after yeah. day after day. Uh, the repetitiveness of it, the grind, I think is, mm-hmm. is the best way to put it. It's hashtag, just uh, hashtag grind. Yeah, it is a. Uh, it's just hard to get motivated, uh, and once you get into the the back end of fall camp, and there's light at the end of the tunnel, that you'll get to hit somebody else besides your teammates. Uh, it's a little bit better, but you know, you get into like week two and three, where you know you're you're spending all this time around the same guys, and uh, some people are getting on your nerves, and you're just ready to kill somebody. Uh, but but you know that everybody kind of plays a role in in helping win games. It, it's it's a mentally taxing thing to deal with. And I mean, the, the heat and the physicality of it is obviously the other aspect of it. Uh, there's no amount of preparation that can really make the heat that you deal with during fall camp comfortable. Which position group hates fall camp the most? The big guys has to be the big guys has to be the big guys. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, and even more so now, I'm not built for for heat. I'm I'm built more of a more polar of like bear. A, yeah, like a Minnesota. Like yeah. I, I should be on a, a lake ice fishing, but mm-hmm. uh, northwestern or something or something like that. But uh, no, it's the linemen do not have fun, and you know, inside hall and and inside periods are always going to be tough, no matter what, and they suck. But when you add that level of heat to it, it's just so much worse. Yeah. And like you said, facing the same guys over and over and over again in those small spaces and the heat, I'd imagine there's a, there's a decent amount of fights. Uh, I have my answer for this. I think like, who would you be most jealous of in fall camp? Like it, it's gotta be like the kickers and the punters. Correct. I mean, they're the just jealous for sure. Yeah, yeah. No doubt. No doubt. I, even when I watch like on hard knocks and stuff, I'm like, man, I wish. Cause like, even as a subpar uh, football player in high school, you made fun of the kickers and the punters, uh, but they really had it licked. Like that's, that's the way to go about it. <laughs> I, I remember, and my, uh, roommate, my sophomore year of college was, uh, Shane Trapuka, who was, uh, a, a punter. And I just remember sometimes looking over at the specialist, just kind of messing around during, during fall camp and thinking to myself, man, 
I really picked the wrong position. <laughs> <laughs> You'd have been the scariest freaking punter in, in the history of, of the SEC. <laughs> who was that? Uh, who was that one punter that or kicker maybe that the USC had that was jacked? Yeah, I can't remember David his name Bueller or something like yeah, that. Bueller, yeah, 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 yeah. That would have been. I mean, but like. Jack doesn't scare me as much as like 300 pound dancing bear who also wrestled and does just some <laughs> jujitsu. You know, you come through that, you think you're about to about to get, you know, to the end zone. And then all of a sudden, wham. Well, some of these Aussie rules, guys, I mean, Aussie that's, football yeah, is that's true. sketchy. And I think uh, Miami has to do with like the neck that 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 played Aussie rules football. He's probably a intimidating guy. Uh, as far is as it pretty go. true that punters are tougher than kicker than like place kickers? I think, oh man, that's tough. I w- I would say punters are generally tougher. Maybe this is Australia reverse racism, you know, where I just like <laughs> assume Australians are the toughest dudes in the world because of like Steve Adams and like, you know, everyone else that I've ever encountered from Australia. So I just assume pun and they seem to be bigger as well. The punters seem to be bigger guys than the yeah, place and it, kickers and again like aussie rules football where some of these guys are coming from there's not a like it's not a sport to be taken lightly either i mean you have guys getting cleated in the neck and and, and things other and they're not wearing pads and they get hit pretty good uh and then the other major sport that some of these aussie punters are playing is rugby so uh nobody knows sp- the difference yeah <laughs> but either way you know the, between those two sports you're getting some 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 tough some tough cats out of there. Is there like a 30 second way to explain the difference between rugby and Aussie rules football that wouldn't just completely confuse me? Or is it essentially the same thing, but uh, Aussie rules football has a round playing surface. Ah, wow. So, okay. That's like probably a, the easiest way. Like a bit, you're playing in a big circle. Pretty much. Okay. I'm going to have to check this out. I guess in my head, it's just been the same thing. I just didn't want to call it the same thing because of the, like <laughs> the, the British Australian beef. There's there's some definite differences, but I, I think the the easiest way to distinguish is definitely the uh, the playing surface, the shape. Also, is there a better come up than being deported from England for being criminals and ending up in Australia? That feels like they won that one uh, in a pretty big landslide. You know, hundreds years later, maybe not right away, uh, but their descendants kind of won that lottery again. You know, in a yeah, couple I mean. Years. The only problem is you also have like the brown snakes and all kinds of spiders. Yeah, everything will kill you in Australia, including the Australians. That's how I've always heard it uh, described. So the, there is there is that aspect of Australia. That's uh, speaking of prison, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, although maybe this is this is uh, my Texas elitism coming out here, but I feel like I'm good. You know what I mean? Like I, I'm from Bertram, Texas. Like that's basically like everything kill you out there too. Um, so you know, I don't know. I think as Texans, we would be the most prepared to go handle the outback, but yeah, maybe again, like, maybe that's, that's the, that's uh, overconfidence on my side. It's like Texans, people from South Louisiana and people from like, <laughs> that's right. That's right. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, that that's, that's exactly correct. Yeah, those are, that, those probably are the three toughest regions um, in the country. I would imagine. Yeah. Cause like, I mean, you get some of the desert locales too. Yeah. I mean, uh, but I feel it's like not- some of the anim- animal uh, the animal threats there are a little more easy, easily avoidable. Like, I'm not going to get bit by a rattlesnake for the most part because 
I'm going to be paying attention. If I, I hear that noise, I'm going to know yeah. to avoid it. Yeah. And I got a shotgun. So that, that one's, that one's going to be handled. I, you know, like before we get into the, the second day, I don't want to hear anybody from the Northeast. Cause I don't know how much you've traveled up there, but they're all like five, nine, you know? So like, I refuse <laughs> to take any of that seriously. You're just like tough around other small people and you talk loud. Like that's not, that's not actually knowing how to fight. So that's my, <laughs> That's my opinion on uh, Northeast toughness. Uh, we'll move on to second down. Uh, it's time, Jay. I've been asking you off and on for like three months what you thought these Texas A&M Aggies were going to do uh, as as the season uh, unfolded. We're going to lock in our predictions uh, for the 2023 season, at least for one episode. Uh, we have until September 2nd, probably, to keep changing our mind. But let's, you know, for our practice, try to figure this thing out. The over and under is at eight and a half. So I guess the first question is kind of, are you going over, you going under what's your record prediction? Uh, so I think when we started this podcast, the over under was really set at seven and a half. So the, yeah, I guess it's raising up. It's raising. So it's uh, Petrino's I'm, offense, Bobby's in town. He's I'm calling plays. Vegas. I'm, I'm also going up with my win total. And that's the uh, inevitable optimism of a new season. I think nine and three, nine and uh, three. So I, <laughs> I'm probably going to regret this, but I'm I'm penciling in Texas A&M at nine and three. Who are your losses in that three, or is that just a general three? Uh man. If if I have to pick the losses, I think I go Alabama, LSU, and Ole Miss. Yeah. So when the line originally came out and I have a betting slip for this uh, through my bookie or through a proxy that makes bets for me in Vegas, everybody should have one. Uh, it was seven and a half in, in May when it first came out around magazine season. I jumped on the over as I feel like A&M is going to win at least eight games, but it has raised to eight and a half. And Jay, I am thinking about doing maybe a dumb thing. But that's trying to double up here on Vegas, and I'm going to go under eight and a half, and also over seven and a half because I am that confident that the Texas A&M Aggies go eight and four. I have the same three losses as you. I also think they may lose at Tennessee. I just think playing on the road in the SEC is very hard. I know um, Tennessee lost a lot, especially on offense, but I'm a believer in the quarterback. He's got a huge arm. He's he's a super talented guy. Josh Heupel is going to score a lot of points. It's right after the Alabama game. So whether A&M wins that upset or whether they, they lose, it just feels like it, it's hard to play the week after Alabama because you're going to be physically kind of in the wear, in the wars there. And so uh, I have A&M at eight and four, and I really am thinking of also going over seven and a half or over or under eight and a half after I had already gone over seven and a half to see how, how good at this I really am. I mean, I don't hate that. I think eight is a, is a pretty good spot. I just, I'm brimming with confidence for no reason right now. Uh, again, it's the hope. It's the hope. I don't, you. But again, I don't think that there's no reason. Like I can easily talk myself into A&M being 10 and two, like, I, easy like it doesn't take much for me at all Connor Wegman becomes the guy that we thought he was going to be coming out of Bridgeland when he was really healthy that kid when he was a junior and he had both of his legs to run around on and, and was, was actually a healthy quarterback one of the best in the state and was equally in that conversation with Clay uh, Cade Klubnick and, and Quinn Ewers of who was going to be the best quarterback in, in, in the classification there Wide receivers and tight ends just absolutely excellent offensive line talented you know running backs are going to be the running backs for me, it's the defense. Like again, I, I just I, I think that I can understand why 
AM fans are going to be super optimistic this time around. A lot of the questions about AM, a lot of negativities, I feel, are like more about vibes. You know, like if we look at the roster and we look at the talent, we even look at the coaching talent. It's like, well, they're going to figure out how to get this done. But five and seven looms so large, and all the Jimbo kind of weird stuff over this last year uh, looms so large that it just like feels weird to think that this team, you know, could overachieve. But I absolutely think that this team could be the biggest bounce back team of 2023 after only winning five games last year. Yeah, the pieces are there. I mean, I mean, I said no reason, but I'm 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 more just I hate being confident. And yeah. <laughs> uh, I, know I think we I need to make talk about that a little bit more, Jay. That yeah. may be, uh, may be uh, something we need to examine. Uh, but I mean, it's a problem in my personal <laughs> life, too. So <laughs> this, this could be a, more of a question for therapy. I don't know if we need to get into this on the podcast. But I have a, I got a degree, a psychology degree from UTSA somewhere <laughs> sitting over here. So uh, it's not, it's not a master's, but they give out bachelor's there. Oh, man. But no, it's, like you look at the pieces, like you said, and all the pieces are there for a successful season. Uh, so it, it makes sense for me to have the confidence again. The vibes, the vibes yeah. are off. <laughs> yeah, the vibes, the vibes do seem off. They seem to be getting better, though. You know, like I think the further that this thing goes, the less Jimbo. Because again, I'm still not convinced that Jimbo's not messing with everybody. Yeah. You know, that like he's just kind of being like he finds this funny. You know, maybe the rest of us aren't in on the joke, but I do think some of us like, yeah, you know, I don't know. Why do they need to know who's calling plays? Why do I need to make it easy for them and make it seem like we'll, we'll, we'll know what's going on behind the scenes and that's all that matters? Um, you know, another before we move on to, to third down and, and kind of get away from the schedule, I wanted to ask, like, maybe it's just because it's week two, but is Miami the biggest game? on the schedule in terms of like a win or a loss could really change the course of where this season is headed. I think it kind of sets the tone. I mean, if you lose at Miami, the theoretically that should be a very winnable game against a, an opponent that is in a similar situation to you, right? Uh, where they're looking to bounce back. I just feel like AM has more pieces. Uh it, to bounce back with. And I think that when you look at it on paper, AM should be a better team uh, going into the game against Miami in week two. And, you know, obviously it can be hard to, to read into things that early in the season, but it does feel like that's the kind of contest that'll set the tone for how AM looks the rest of the year. Maybe I see this from a gambling lens too much, but we were just talking about over and unders and it feels like the Miami, if, if AM goes to Miami and loses that game, I, I'm going to feel pretty good about cashing the under at eight and a half, right? Yeah. Like it's hard to see nine and three. If you lose to Miami, they go and they beat Miami, especially if they look pretty decent against Miami. Well, all of a sudden AM can be, you know, what five and O oh to start the season. You go New Mexico, Miami, Monroe, you know, Auburn at home, who knows what they're even going to be in year one. And then Arkansas, who, you know, that game's always kind of weird, but you tend to beat. So you go to Miami, you win that game, you're 5-0 and going into Alabama. Even if you lose against Alabama, you go and beat Tennessee on the road, you hold serve against South Carolina, and all of a sudden you're 7-1, you know, and probably ranked in the top 10. And, and in this outside shot of, of getting into the Western Championship, if Alabama falters or something like that. And so uh, that Miami game, to me, feels... Uh, incredibly incredibly important you know and obviously it is right it's week two against a power five opponent but it does feel almost like a fulcrum game where tell me the result of the miami game and i'll tell you 
how I feel the AM season is going to go. They won the game in week two last year, but I left that press box. I, I happened to be there for that game. I left that press box at like one o'clock in the morning because it absurdly started at 8 p.m. for some ungodly reason. I pulled back into Austin at 3 a.m. Not built for that anymore, by the way. Uh, but I remember leaving that press box and going, oh, well, AM's not very good this year. You know, like AM, like I didn't know they were going to go five and seven, but they, they weren't going to, they weren't going to be six team in the preseason poll. Like you knew it then. Right. And so uh, maybe you'd known it earlier with, with app state and all that kind of stuff, but like it, it felt obvious then that I mean, they weren't a very Sam good Houston football state, team. It was a little bit worse. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And so, yeah, I do feel like that Miami game is going to set the to- tone for this team. And then the other part I wanted, you know, as just a former player, how much is that early season loss? Like, you know what I mean? Like how much of it is mental where, as fans, we don't really know what AM is going to be. As players, do they? And and does a win against Miami maybe like build that confidence? Whereas a, as a loss against Miami can be like, oh well, man, here we go again. Maybe this is going to be like last year. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a catch twenty two. Uh, the only early season loss that I really experienced that was Ooh. I think four or five games into the season. Wow. Uh, like within that was Fancy. we played. Fancy. Yeah, we played Alabama in week two of 2013, I think. And it was a very, like, top five matchup, I, I want to say. Uh, and we lost by one score to an Alabama team that was, you know, projected by a lot of people to be the national championship contender. And it didn't feel like it affected us that much, right? Because we were in the game the whole time. Uh, it wasn't a blowout. So I think it changes depending on what your loss is. Yeah. Uh, you know, and obviously uh, in the SEC West, if you lose a, a contest early in the season to a non-conference foe, things look a little bit rougher. Uh, but if it's somebody in conference, like in Alabama or in LSU, where you know that team is probably pretty good anyway, I think you can bounce back from that. And obviously that's going to change even more when you get to the 12 team playoff. Uh, but for now, a Miami loss, like a, a, te- a loss to a team that's a power five team, but not necessarily that good of a power five team. I think this would be kind of catastrophic for, for AM and, and what they say, look like going forward. And I don't know this for a fact. I'm not inside that locker room. But they they feel like a fragile bunch, or at least they did feel like a fragile bunch last year. And a week two loss uh, to a team that you should beat before you even get into the meat of the schedule just feels like may may form a crack there to where you know maybe your team you know you know lost to Alabama and going to end the season right. You can go yeah. and you can win the rest of those football games. You know y'all had been winning, um, so there's a little bit more confidence there. So yeah, it'll be be very interesting. Before we move on to the to third down, I how much I don't know if you ever had experience this way, but in my fan brain, it seems like Miami could be a distracting place to have to go play a football game. Right. You fly in maybe the day before. I know that coaches keep things pretty strict and you have hotel lockdowns and all, but like, is there a difference between going to different cities or is every single trip the exact same? Because in my mind, you go to Miami and maybe you're not showing up Saturday as, as, as prepared and as locked in as if you went to, you know, Tuscaloosa, Alabama or something like that. If this was bull week, I would wholeheartedly agree with you, but okay. the way everything's kind of set up, uh, I don't, I don't think it's going to be a distraction. You go in a week or a day before and 
you're kind of just on a, such a strict schedule that unless you're sneaking out of the hotel, which to be fair, I guess happened last year. Uh, but, <laughs> uh, if, as long as you're not like sneaking out of the hotel, you're not going to be distracted. And I just don't see this group having the same problems as last year. I think the, uh, it's going to be a little bit stricter on free time. Not that you have much to begin with. Yeah. We'll get, uh, another topic I want to talk about with you and we'll do it another show kind of maybe leading into that Miami game. I, I always, I'm always fascinated with, uh, road game routines, you know, when teams fly in, how they kill time, what the hotel meal is, if there's any kind of like, uh, you know, like at Texas Tech, for instance, for instance, Joey McGuire loves the pasta buffet bar thing and he eats the exact same pasta before every single game. And he brought that with him from Baylor. So we'll talk kind of your favorite meals or favorite favorite ways to go about doing road games when AM's about to have uh, their first road game. Before we get into the third down and kind of start uh, the second half of this show. Homefield Apparel is about to uh, to announce a new Texas school, like not just a new outlier, new uh, product launch of of, uh, of a Texas school, but a whole ne- outright new Texas school. They signed UTEP, and I'm very excited. I went to UTSA, uh, but El Paso is like number one in my heart for Texas cities. Like if I had to be honest with everybody, if I could just make as much money as I make now and live in El Paso, I'd probably do that. Um, and so I'm excited for the UTEP outline. I think it's going to be great. If you use promo code WHOOP, W-H-O-O-P, uh, you get 15% off, I believe, maybe 20% off. Uh, you're 15%. 15% off uh, the first order from home field. So go ahead and do that. Get you some AM stuff. Uh, I got the Good Bull uh, shirt coming my way. Uh, going to get UTEP tomorrow. Um, so I've, I've enjoyed the home field partnership. Yeah, and, and I have heard rumors that the UTEP collection is going to be very, very, very exciting. Yeah, yeah, it's a uh, I, good retro look. I've I've heard that Homefield got the greenest of lights from the school, so we should uh, we should see some some really cool stuff. Pretty that. excited there. Let, before we get in, like, let's uh, what's your power rankings of big city, big cities in the state of Texas? Like, can we do that just off the top of your? Head? I can go first while you're thinking about it. Number one, Austin, Texas. I'm going to be biased here. I, I live here. I'm from here. I, I enjoy it a lot. I, I understand why some people don't. It's not everybody's cup of tea, uh, but it's great for me. Number two, though, for me, is San Antonio. Number three, El Paso. Like I think those two cities are absolutely tremendous. As I'm getting older, like if I was 18, maybe those wouldn't be my picks. But as I'm approaching 40, uh, those are those are up there. Uh, affordable, big enough. Not a lot of traffic, great food, great people, low crime rates, all that kind of stuff. El Paso's loca- location to New Mexico um, and there's different parts. Like you got mountains around you. Just You don't feel like you're in Texas. I enjoy that part. Uh, Houston would be next there for me. And then dead last is DFW. I could uh, Fort Worth is fine, uh, but you could take Dallas and put it in a different state. And we're not missing anything. So I do think that's a, a key aspect is the separation of Fort Worth and Dallas. No, 100%. Uh, but I have, I have Austin at one as well. Uh, I have Houston, Houston at two for uh, the food. I just, you know, the humidity gets me. The humidity kills I'm, me. I'm not gonna lie to you. Like if traffic as well. If Houston wasn't as humid, I would be fine with uh, huh. with it in the number one spot. Uh, I go Fort Worth three. Yeah, if we count Fort Worth, it it deserves to be higher than where I put it. Yeah, uh, and then I go El Paso four, San Antonio five. Yeah. Yeah, our top fives would look pretty similar. Maybe different orders and stuff, but they would look they would look pretty similar. Fort Worth, 
Underrated city. Absolutely. Moving on to third down. Uh, we'll keep these relatively quicker uh, than the first two, just because we're going to spend you know, the next three weeks dissecting the offense, dissecting the defense of the Texas A&M Aggies. But we'll just kind of do a little broad strokes, broad strokes, offensive breakdown here. First off, what I'm curious about, we're just looking at the offensive unit. What are you comfortable with? Uh, wide receivers and tight ends. Yeah, yeah, me I too. I think that's uh, two position groups, targets for the quarterback that are very, very, very talented. Uh, you, you look at Anaya Smith coming back, which is massive. Uh, you have Evan Stewart, who is one of the best receivers in the country. Uh, if he puts it all together, uh, you have Moose Muhammad, who looked pretty, pretty dink salty mm-hmm. at the end of last year. Uh, you have a big, a big guy in Noah Thomas at receiver, and then you look go inside to tight ends, and you have Donovan Green, uh, Jake Johnson, Max Wright, uh, like those three guys. You know, obviously. Johnson and, and Green are probably going to be more of your pass catching threats. Wright's more of a kind of a do it all guy, uh, and, and again another leader uh, in in that locker room and in that position room. Uh, you got to feel pretty comfortable with what you have at, at wide receiver and tight end. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, wide receiver, tight end, skill positions feel unquestioned uh, the most subtle part of maybe the entire football team. I mean, Evan Stewart, I think Evan Stewart, Xavier Worthy are in this battle for who's the best wide receiver in the state. And I don't know if I have a solid answer. I went with Xavier Worthy just because he's had a little bit more production in the magazine. Uh, but yeah, Evan Stewart could emerge this year as maybe the best offensive player in the state of Texas, to be honest with you. He, he's that good in my mind. What concerns you? Offensive line, I mm-hmm. think, is the the mm-hmm. easy answer here. But I also am a little bit concerned about quarterback play and, and, and taking that next step at the quarterback position. Cause I mean, as good as Wegman looked at the end of the year, he still has to improve from what we saw in that, in uh, some of some of those games. Uh, so I think they're kind of intertwined, right? If the offensive line plays better, I think Wegman ends up playing better as well. Uh, so if I have to pick just one position group, it's offensive line. I'm going off the board here, and for me, it's still Jimbo Fisher and Bobby Petrino's continuity, cohesionness, uh, rapport, whatever whatever word we want to use. I don't worry about it when things are going well. I do think it's Bobby's offense to call. I think he's going to be the main play caller. I think we're going to see more tempo. I think we're going to see more motion. I think the quarterback's going to run more. All of that I believe to be true. But there's going to be a game. Maybe it's Miami. Maybe it's against Auburn. Maybe it's not even until... Alabama, where the offense isn't playing very well. It's a close game. They're down. It's late. And like Jimbo Fisher's going to want to call some plays. He's going to want to want some input. And Bobby may push back on it. What that what that's going to look like. And does he have full autonomy? Does he not? Um, that is my biggest concern about the offense. Because I, I think, I, and I would also include offensive tackle. Like if we're going to do positions like offensive tackle, I think they're going to be pretty good on the interior, especially if Foster um, is healthy and stays healthy. But the tackle's, you know, concern me, especially with the news today, Fathery uh, still kind of working his way back a little bit from an injury uh, that he got in the spring. So uh, tackle would be the position group that concerns me, but still until we see it, that relationship between Petrino and Fisher is one that I just find interesting and it could turn out to be great. And, you know, we look back on all this conversation that everybody spent across the nation talking about and be like, wow, how dumb were we? Uh, But it may not. And uh, so I think that one's going to be the thing that I look for most, especially in that first real close game 
where the offense isn't going up and down and scoring. Uh, lastly, before we move on to defense, you know, pick a player that you think uh, you think will step up and achieve. It, it can even be a starter. It could be Evan Stewart if you wanted to, right? Just a guy who's going to overachieve, who's going to step up, who's going to play really well this year. Yeah, and and I think Evan Stewart is is a guy that lives up to expectation. But when we say overachieve, I look at a guy and and I've been kind of high on him for a while. Uh, I think I talk about him more than than most people, and uh, this could be a fault of mine just liking tall wide receivers. But Noah Thomas, yeah, I think is a guy that he just presents such a matchup issue uh, for for opposing defenses, uh, and you know. Obviously, if it's going to be hard to get everybody on the field all at once with all the weapons you have, but I just think with the ability to go up and get that the jump ball, uh, Noah Thomas is a guy that I I think may overachieve for the Aggies in twenty twenty three. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Donovan Green, and really, what I mean is the tight end unit specifically, but. I think green was really good as a freshman and showed some flat. I think he's going to be an all conference caliber player as a sophomore. I think he's that good. I think he's a future NFL draft pick. Um, I think both offenses enjoy using a tight end. I know Jimbo does. I feel like Petrino uh, also utilizes tight ends, especially ones that can catch the ball. Uh, he, he didn't get all of the starts and all of the snaps early in the year. Green didn't. Uh, but when he got the ball and when he was a focal point, he seemed to be like one of the more reliable players on the team. Tight ends can be young quarterbacks, best friends as well. They're just closer to the ball and can be that check down guy, can be the third down guy, uh, can be the kind of the reliable, dependable target. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if Green ends up. You know, I know Brock Byers number Brock Bowers number one tight end in the in the nation in the SEC. I would not be surprised at all though if Green is in that kind of like second, third team All SEC, especially if Connor. Uh, is the quarterback we think that he's going to be. I think the tight end position's going to have a big year. The big question for me on Green is, you know, if a Jake Johnson becomes more and more of a weapon, what does that take away from Green, or do they go more two tight end sets? It's going to be fascinating to see how Petrino and Jimbo utilize all those weapons. You can only have five of them on the field at one time. And so yeah. uh, what are you going to do with that? Are we going to see a lot of empty if running back doesn't materialize in the way that it could? So I'm surprised neither one of us really talked about the running back position. So we'll have to uh, circle back to that on a later date. I bet that kind of lives between uncomfortable and comfortable for you. I mean, I think that's where I'm at with it as well. Um, and so we can dive more into running backs on, on, on a later date. Let's get to the fourth down. Let's talk uh, defense here. Uh, same kind of questions. We'll do the, we'll do the same format back uh, with the defensive side of the ball, with God's side of the football. What are you most comfortable with on the defensive side? Uh, it's got to be uh, the safety position, particularly Damani Richardson back. Yeah. Uh, it's, I mean, Bryce Anderson looked great when he played as well last year. So you look at the safety position, I think it's easily the uh, the most confident position group that i i see on the defensive side of the ball yeah i just uh, i was gonna say secondary as well but i think my real answer would be just overall talent level like i am comfortable with the ta- with the talent that texas a&m has on the defensive side of the ball uh you look at the front four and just the type of bodies that not even the starters have but the backups have and you probably couldn't tell the difference honestly you know what i mean like just from a pure body standpoint maybe walter nolan's the exception to that but just like all oh, four or five star guys that look like NFL players. The back end is just just loaded, just yeah. just just an embarrassment of riches riches back there. Like the re, like Jared Kerr can't get on the field, and like that kid's 
freaking awesome. You know, I watched him for a lot of years when he was in high school. Um, and so uh, that middle group leads me to the next question. What, what concerns you and, and why is it linebacker? Linebacker depth, especially. <laughs> uh, I mean, there's no depth at the position is, is the big concern. And also the guys that are there struggled a little bit last year. Uh, so you, you combine those two things. And uh, I mean, it was like you said, why is it linebacker? Like, we know, we know what's the most concerning position group here. And it's, it's the linebacker position. Uh, you have a guy in, in, in Torian York, who I think is a very talented player, but if you're a, a true freshman uh, in the two deep, it's, it's not always the best sign. Yeah. I mean, how much confidence do you have that, you know, uh, Russell and Cooper kind of just really solidify that stuff, take a step forward in year two of, of the defense. And we don't have to worry about that as much, or is the position such that you need more than two, no matter what, even if those guys are playing pretty well, you're going to need some depth. And these young guys are just, that's who you got. So that's who you're playing. Yeah. The nature of the position, it's such a, I mean, obviously it's changed a little bit. Guys are in coverage a little bit more, but it's still just a, a position where your body's going to take a little bit of a beating. Yeah. It's the running you, back of defense. Yeah. Like you're going to get beat up. Yeah. You, uh, you're you going to have to take on offensive linemen getting to the second level, which when they have a little bit of steam on them, uh, offensive linemen, not fun to try to take on those blocks. <laughs> uh, my my experience news. is from pulling guards. But, Breaking news from Jay Arnold. Yeah, I mean – when those guys are working up to the second level and they have a little bit of momentum, I would argue that sometimes for linebackers, like it can be harder because you do have to take on and defeat a block uh, versus getting them at the off, like the line of scrimmage with a little less momentum behind them. Uh, so I, I do, I mean, I think you need way more than two uh, at the linebacker position. And they do have some depth. There's some transfers in too. And, uh, but it's not, the depth and the talent like you see at the secondary and at the defensive line. You don't have, you don't have both of them. Yeah. It, uh, it's the clear low man on the totem pole. Like, I mean, it's, it's the poverty position on that defense compared to the other position, you know, like just from bodies and just overall talent standpoint, um, that room falls behind it. Maybe not even just pure town. I, mean, I think York's going to be a really good player. I think they have some guys there, uh, but that's a tough position to come in and, and play as a true freshman, maybe improved interior defensive line play and a little bit more, um, understanding of the defense and scheme in year two kind of helps with some of that. Uh, but it does feel like an odd spot to be that light at, you know, you would think with the way that A&M's recruited and the way that they can portal and just the money behind them that they could have gone kind of cherry picked a linebacker or two, but maybe that's just becoming a position that's harder and harder uh, to really find. Because as I go and put together the magazine, honestly, there wasn't a lot of units that were great at the linebacker position. It kind of felt there was a whole lot of secondary players that are really good. And I think that's because of the prolification of seven on seven and stuff. There's a lot of defensive linemen that are really good because the best athletes now get spun down to go rush the passer and stuff. And linebacker was kind of this kind of middle zone where you're not athletic enough to be an edge rusher or in the secondary, but you're not big enough to be a run stopping defensive end or something like that. So here you are at linebacker, a little too big, a little too slow to play safety. Um, so I just wonder if that in modern football is becoming a position that's harder and harder to find. Uh, I I don't disagree with you, and I think part of it is too. I mean, you know, it's not a it's not a sexy position. Kids don't want to yeah. play linebacker these days, uh, which I can't blame them. But uh, it, it's I I think it's harder to find those linebackers, and then it's it's a position that's just kind of hard to recruit because I don't know that Texas necessarily excels at producing linebackers either. 
No, it's not, it, you know, it's not a state that, that produced, we're a seven on seven state and we have a lot of edge rushers, you know, like we lack in the interior of the defensive line and we lack at linebacker. Um, so that's what concerns you. That, that's what we're comfortable with. Lastly, you know, what, what player, you know, are, are you expecting to kind of step up and overachieve? Yeah. I mean, there's just so many weapons along the defensive line. Uh, and I'm, I'm sure that I could take any of them and, and decide, Hey, this is the guy that I'm going to rock with. One guy that I think isn't talked about enough, uh, that I, I get really excited every time I see him rush the passer. And I think he got better as the season went on. Uh, and his length in particular is something that can give opposing offensive linemen. A lot of problems is Malik Silla. Hmm. Uh, Katie. And again, he's not the most talked about guy on this defensive line. Uh, but I just I'm not, there's something about him that I just like watching him when he's rushing the passer. And I think uh, you know, getting sacks without bringing pressure without blitzing is uh an important part of uh AM kind of controlling the issues that they had with with quarterbacks getting free and, and rushing against this defense last year. And I think that Silla is a guy that that can really, really give opposing offensive lines problems. Yeah, he's on that Katie defense that also had Bobby Taylor and kind of got overshadowed a little bit because of Bobby and a couple of those secondary players. They had a good linebacker or two as well on that defense. I mean, Katie always has a really good defense. But I remember even in his regurgitants, like, we're not talking about Malik enough. Like, that kid can really go. Uh, he just needed to put some weight on, you know, maybe he's gotten stronger to, to play against the run. And so just, and being able to rotate those guys on the edge, like you need more than just one, like having three or four guys that can rotate on that edge is what the really good teams in the SEC have. I'm going to, I'm going obvious. I'm going chalk. Like for me, you know, I kind of looked this up as, as more step up as much as overachieve. And for me, it's Walter Nolan. Like he was good in spurts as a freshman, uh, you could tell that the the talent was there, obviously. But you go out to practice or you just see the dude walk around. You're like, you should be the best player in the SEC. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you, there, there can't be many of you out there. Like go dominate and play, you know, 50 snaps a game or however many you can handle you know, as, as a force of nature. Uh, I, I give him a break for his true freshman year. He didn't walk into the best situation, obviously. I, I think there was some locker room stuff going on that nobody really got the best of, of what they needed to, especially uh, the young guys there. But a lot of that's gone. You know, and Anaya Smith talked to me about, you know, they got a little bit older. Everybody matured a little bit. Uh, there's more leadership on the team. They got rid of, of, of some of the knuckleheads. And if he's locked in and playing football, like there's just not many people alive, much less in college football that are as big, that are as athletic, and can be as dominant as Walter Nolan. And if he can be that, and now you have to double-team the defensive tackle, well, who? what do you do with the defensive ends? How do you even get to the linebackers? Like, he can unlock so much of the AM defense if Walter Nolan is, you know, number one recruit in the nation talent, Walter Nolan. And that's before we even get to putting, like, DJ Hicks next to him or yeah. McKinley Jackson. You know, like, that AM defensive line can be salty. Yeah, it's uh, I, I just get excited thinking about the potential there uh, as a defensive lineman myself. I just, I see all those guys, and I'm, I'm, I just kind of can't wait to see if they live up to their potential because if they do, it's going to be very, very scary for opposing offenses. It wouldn't be a episode of the Aggie War Pod unless I tried to bring in like the Texas Texas A and M narrative into the show at some point. So I, I saved it to the very end here. I cannot wait until the Texas offensive line in 2024 
is going against the Texas A&M defensive line in 2024. Because the Texas A- Texas offensive line is still going to have Kelvin Banks. It's going to have Cole Hudson. It's going to have DJ Campbell. It's going to have a lot of dudes that were – Cam Williams that were like big-time, big-time recruits. And they're going to be blocking Walter Nolan and DJ Hicks and Shamar Stewart and all these other – you know, like it is going to be a show. Like it is going to be an absolute show. I uh, can't wait for it to happen. But first, we have to get through the 2023 season. It's only August. We're just now getting started. Uh, yeah, you know, we did pretty good. The fourth down thing may work. The 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 four downs may stick around. Uh, we're open to suggestions. We could mix this up on a week to week basis if if we want to. But yeah, that was a good uh, that was a good walk into camp show. I mean, we felt felt pretty camp ready there. Yeah, I feel like uh, we actually put in the middle work, like we talked about in the forty eight hours leading into fall camp. There you go. Uh, we we got in the playbook. We got in the film room. We hydrated and we're ready to go. That's what it's about. It's all about the water. It's all about preparation. Jay Arnold, Mike Craven, Republic of Football, Dave Campbell's Texas Football, texasfootball.com. We will talk to you next week.